This podcast is made possible by Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Welcome to episode five of our Go Bronx podcast. I'm Olga Luce. And I'm Angel. Today, we will talk about one of our favorite pastimes, the Bronx Zoo. I love the zoo. Who doesn't? We're going to hear about how the zoo played a significant role in saving the American bison from extinction. But first, let's talk a little bit more about the history of the Bronx Zoo. In the 1840s and 50s, New York City's population was increasing and was becoming drastically overcrowded. With open land constantly ripe for development, many wildlife preservationists and advocates felt land was rapidly disappearing. One such advocate was Andrew Jackson Downing, born in Newburgh, New York, and considered the father of American landscape architecture. He had once stated, quote, What are called parks in New York are not even apologies for the thing. They are only squares or paddocks, unquote. After much complaining, an editorial appeared in the New York Herald comparing a park in Manhattan to a pair of lungs. There are no lungs on the island, the author wrote. It is made up entirely of veins and arteries. A lot of people agreed, and using the power of eminent domain, New York scooped up 778 acres of land right smack in the center of the city and hired an architect by the name of Frederick Law Olmsted to design it. With very little experience in landscape architecture, Central Park was completed in 1873. The project, though, woefully over-budgeted, was successful, and in the late 1880s, another 718 acres of land was scooped up in the Bronx and formally became Bronx Park. In 1891, the city allotted 250 acres of Bronx Park to the New York Botanical Garden. We'll talk a little bit more about that in future episodes. Oh, yes. Yes, we will. In 1897, an additional 250 acres of Bronx Park were allotted to the New York Zoological Society, now known as the Wildlife Conservation Society, to build the New York Zoological Park. The New York Zoological Park opened to the public on November 8, 1899, to a crowd of a little over 2,000 visitors, and by the end of that year, had welcomed over 90,000 people. The New York Zoological Park soon became a leader in wildlife conservation, education, and exhibitry. Actually, a future United States president had some influence in the creation of the zoo. Do you know who that was, Olga? That would be the one and only Theodore Roosevelt. Very good. I know stuff, too. Then governor of New York, Teddy Roosevelt was part of the Boone and Crockett Club, which was an elite hunting club in 1899. He wanted to create a zoo that would rival the Central Park Menagerie, which is only six and a half acres. So he advocated for the establishment of this zoological park in the Bronx. There was a difference between a zoological park and a menagerie, according to the Department of Parks Annual Report of 1899, which you can find a link to on our GoBronxPod.com webpage. It reads, in a menagerie, the sole purpose is display for a stated period of the day, arranged so as to give the animals opportunities for rest when the public is not admitted. The report goes on to describe a zoological garden, however, is sought to approximate natural conditions in dens and shelters have to be provided so that a portion of the time the animals are not in sight. Thanks, Olga. I learn something every day. 
Eventually, the public began to refer to the New York Zoological Park as the Bronx Zoo because, well, it, it was, was located, located in, in the, the Bronx. Bronx. The name Bronx Zoo kind of stuck throughout the years, and no one really called it the New York Zoological Park anymore. But it wasn't until the 1940s that the official name became the Bronx Zoo. In fact, up until the 1980s, some official documents still had the institution listed as the New York Zoological Park. Let's rewind a bit back to the late 19th century when the American bison was hunted to near extinction. The New York Zoological Park, or the Bronx Zoo, played a significant role in saving the endangered bison. Angel, did you know that the bison is the official mammal of the United States? Yeah, I do know. Some have asked, isn't the bald eagle the official mammal of the United States? First of all, the eagle is a bird, not a mammal. And secondly, it is the official symbol of the United States. In 2016, we actually got Congress to proclaim the American bison as the official mammal of the United States of America. That's our good friend John Calvelli, Executive Vice President of Public Affairs for the Wildlife Conservation Society, the organization that oversees several zoological societies and aquariums throughout the country. We're going to talk to him right after this quick break. Don't go away. The world has changed a lot in the last year, and more than ever, you need health insurance you can rely on. Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield is the whole health company, and that means they are dedicated to improving the health and well-being of everyone in the Bronx and throughout the New York service area. They've been supporting the health of Bronxites for 86 years, providing you access to high-quality, affordable care. To learn how you can make a whole health connection, go to empireblue.com. Sigourney Weaver here to tell you about the New York Botanical Garden. 250 acres, 1 million plants, and you. Now open in the Bronx. Plan your visit at nybg.org. The Residence Inn by Marriott Bronx at the Hutchinson Metro Center on Eastchester Road. This all-suite hotel offers an at-home feel with fully equipped kitchens, luxury bedding, a fitness center, free parking, free breakfast, and free Wi-Fi. Grab a bite to eat at their complimentary social hour or order a local craft beer at the bar. It's better in the Bronx. The Residence Inn by Marriott Bronx. For reservations, call 718-239-3939. 718-239-3939. John, um, we're here. We... we uh went into the story of the Bronx Zoo. Why don't you tell me about the role that the zoo played, and at the time the New York Zoological Park played in saving the bison? You know, one of the incredible things about the Bronx um, are organizations like the Bronx Zoo, and the Bronx Zoo is the headquarters of the Wildlife Conservation Society. And really from its beginning, the Bronx Zoo has played this leadership role globally to save wildlife and wild places. And what better animal to start with than this symbol of America, which is the American bison. And back in 1899, literally at the beginning of the foundation of our organization, our first uh, director, William Hornaday, said, you know, we have to do something because we had gone from 30 million uh, bison. And I'm going to say bison and buffalo is kind of the, the bison is the official term and buffalo is, uh, is what you know, we humans call it. And, um, you know, there were, there were 30 million buffalo, 
there were, it had gone down to about 25 in the wild and about a thousand left uh, throughout the United States. So we brought them to the Bronx, we bred them in the Bronx, um, and then they left from the Bronx Zoo. And just think of this vision of these buffalo being brought up to Fordham Road, to the Fordham Station, being put on a train, and then at Grand Central they switch to another train so that they can go out west. I mean, just this visual is amazing to me um, that the Bronx and just that vision of kind of walking these animals and getting them on these trains. And um, what came out of that was this amazing uh, sense of community. You know, and when I say that, I really mean the American community and the Bronx community coming together. And what I mean by that is legislators, because President Roosevelt was very involved and the Congress was involved in putting lands aside um, number one. Number two, Native Americans, because we work with Native American tribes to uh, accept these animals back. And third, um, which is really kind of is the American public, right? So you had all these different components coming together. And it really shows how public-private partnerships work, but really how America works. And the business community, which, um, you know, those trains didn't come for free. The American Express and Wells Fargo literally uh, donated those trains to us. And at the time, if you go back and read in the archive, the value of that was probably around a million dollars in 1907. I mean, just think about it. lots and lots of money. But the fact was, you know, I'm gonna fast forward a hundred years, these animals were saved. And uh, we have the American bison now. And we had started to once again, work very closely with the Native American community and um, with the producers, the National Bison Association, the NBA, um, and we came together to form the American Bison Coalition. And what was that about? It was really for a couple of reasons. Number one is to raise awareness of bison and their importance in America from an ecological perspective, from an economic perspective, and from a cultural perspective. And what we did is our first action was we, we need to elevate this, this bison to uh, the American consciousness. So we started working on a piece of legislation to designate the bison as our national mammal. We don't have one. Many, most other countries have a, a national reptile or national this or national that. The United States does not have many. And um, we kind of took it upon ourselves to say, we're gonna do it for the American bison. And um, that was a long process, a long, you know, several years, but it was the most um, uh, exciting and fun work that I've done in my years at the Wildlife Conservation Society. And I say that literally, not just because of the role that we played and the, the work that we, de we did, but it was the way we brought Americans together in that effort. And I say that because when we introduced the legislation, it was actually about to pass, we had Senator Hoven from the Dakotas, we had Christy Nome, uh, who's now a governor, Tea Party member, um, we had um, uh, Lacey Clay, who was at the time a uh, member of Congress from uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and we had Jose Serrano from the Bronx. You literally had African-American, uh, Puerto Rican, uh, Tea Party, you know, kind of center-right, far-right, all coming together. And um, I think it was the Cleveland Plain Dealer, uh, the, their newspaper of record, asked the question, like, what are you all doing here together? And, and the stories behind that are just fascinating because you got on one side, you know, um, 
Lacey Clay, who I met with, and I, I asked the congressman to support the bill. He said, no, no I want to do more than that. I want to actually, uh, I want to uh, be the sponsor of the bill. And I said, why? He said, well, my great uh, uncle was a Buffalo soldier. So to me, the Buffalo has this incredible personal connection. And Christy Nome, she was a rancher. She used to ranch Buffalo. And you know, when I got to Congressman Serrano, Congressman Serrano says, well, you know, the reason I did this is because the Bronx helped save the Buffalo, number one. And number two, this is the way Senator Hovind knows that I don't have horns, that I'm a human being like him, and he knows that I, that, and then he knows that I'm a human being. And by doing these things together, it shows that we're one American family. And I got to tell you, as, as someone who's been in politics and around politics pretty much my whole life, that was just a, um, a great moment. It was this moment where the American family came together, and it didn't matter if you were a liberal or a conservative or a progressive or a Tea Party member, um, you were an American. And this animal, this bison, which had so much to do with the framing of America, the history of America, um, and shaping of America, um, that we were there together as, as one American family. That, that was really moving for me. And um, I'm not going to forget it as long as I live. That's great. Thank you. Get it, baby, get it! And now for a little segment we like to call Yo Angel. Yo Olga. Tell our listeners why the Bronx is known as El Condado de la Salsa for the bilingually impaired, the county of Salsa. I think that question will be better answered by our good friend, folklorist, music historian, and co-artistic director for the Bronx Music Heritage Center, Elena Martinez. Why is the Bronx called El Condado de la Salsa? We don't know who coined the term, but after World War II, many Puerto Ricans moved off the island and settled in New York City. Soon after, many of them left a crowded East Harlem and moved up to the Bronx, making that borough a larger Puerto Rican city than San Juan. And although salsa music is based on Afro-Cuban rhythms, the greatest proponents of this music were Puerto Rican, and many of them were born or moved to the Bronx. Manny Oqueno, Eddie Palmieri, Orlando Marin, Mike Collazo, Eddie Montalvo, Hector Lavoe, Pete El Conde Rodriguez, and so many others. That this music is now associated with Puerto Ricans more so than others. On top of this, these musicians lived in a borough which had an incredible infrastructure of diverse venues to perform and dance to this music. And the Queen of Salsa herself, Cuban-born Celia Cruz, is interred at Woodlawn Cemetery, along with her husband, Pedro Knight, who died four years after her. Now you know. So a guy by the name of Elwin Roswell Sanborn was the first official photographer for the New York Zoological Park. He rode on the train car with the bison on their way back to a reserve, actually sleeping but a few inches from them. He eloquently documented his experience in the January 1908 issue of the Zoological Society Bulletin. I've included a link in our show notes and on our webpage, gobronxpod.com, if you'd like to read it. I know I enjoyed it. Thanks. I'm definitely checking that out. At the time of its opening in 1899, the New York Zoological Park featured 843 animals and 22 exhibitions. Today, 
The Bronx Zoo is the largest urban zoo in the country, with 6,000 animals, representing more than 700 species. You can see seasons one through four of the show The Zoo for free on the Animal Planet Go app. Well, that's our show this week. Thanks to our good friend John Calvelli for joining us today. And Angel, I enjoyed talking to the animals with you. Thank you all for tuning in to our Go Bronx podcast produced by the Bronx Tourism Council and made possible by Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Additional promotional support is provided by NYC and Company. Mucho thanks to our pod headquarters, the Huntington Free Library and Reading Room, for hosting our recording. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoBXPod. To access some of the links mentioned in this episode and for more information about previous episodes, go to GoBronxPod.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our e-newsletter. As, As always, always, I'm Olga Luce. And I'm Angel. Bronxfully, Bronxfully yours. yours.